0: It's good to be with you all here today, it's good to rest on the Sabbath. It's also super exciting to see if there are more people here, because I walked up the aisle a little while ago. I don't know where you all were, but you just showed up, and that's exciting and scary all at the same time, because I thought it was just going to be 12 of us, but that's fine. We'll do it for everybody. This is week six of a 10-week series. We're calling this series Wisdom That Works, and we're going through Uh, The first six chapters of Proverbs. And today, as Kevin just read, we are in chapter three, or at least a small portion of chapter three. And uh, as you could tell from how quickly Kevin got through that reading, ton of real estate to work with today. Verses nine through 12. Yeah. I got to fill 35 minutes. (laughs) Now it's actually, oddly enough, uh, four verses is too much to work with in this case. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my best to use the first two verses, verses 9 and verse 10, and I'm going to get us lost in just those two verses. And then when we're lost, I'm going to use 11 and 12 to get us back out again. Is that fair? Good. Jen thinks it's fair. Matt thinks it's fair. Everyone else, buckle up, because this is going to be very unfair to you. Let me start with this. Uh, Before we we really get lost, I'm just going to pause the story very early on. I'm going to recap what what Kevin just read, um, but I'm going to do it uh, in just the first three words. So uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, honor the Lord. Freeze, stop right there. We could spend the next 35 minutes just talking about those three words because those three words are the crux of everything that is going to happen next. And if we don't understand those three words, everything else that follows kind of either gets really simple or you can very quickly discard it because you can be like, oh, honor the Lord with your wealth. Yeah, but I'm poor, so... And then he goes on, Solomon here goes to talk about whether or not uh, it's a good idea to take the first fruits of your produce and you'll be like, yeah, but I'm not a farmer. Skip. And my barns will be filled with plenty. Still not a farmer, Solomon. Double skip. And then my vats will be bursting with non-alcoholic grape juice. I love that only some of you laughed at that. <laughs> which either means some of you aren't paying attention or the rest of you really have that like crossed out in your own Bibles so that it says that. He went, yep, he nailed that one. Now, you can very quickly just decide none of this is for me. It doesn't apply to me. And if it doesn't apply to me, then move on to the next piece. But unfortunately, Solomon is aiming at all of us. So you can't actually duck or sidestep this one. You're gonna have to walk through it. And I'm gonna walk you through it as I've read it through uh, the past couple of weeks. And again, we're just going to start with honor the Lord. I don't know what your translations say. Mine say honor. Does anybody have anything else that you can shout out? That first word? Honor? Anybody? Honor is good. We'll go with honor. I'm going to change it. But, you know, if your version say it, then it means I'm the only person that sees this other side of it. So you're just going to have to trust me or check the internet. Both are good ideas. Just don't stay on the internet for too long because then, you know, Facebook is way more exciting than I usually am. So be careful with that. Uh, I'm going to switch the word. I'm going to actually go back to the Hebrew. I'm going to flip it over and I'm going to read what it says in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word is kabod. You want to try that? That first sound is just right here. I think Danny tried that last week. He kind of brings something up is how he described it. So let's just try it like one syllable at a time. Just make the sound. Good. Some of you said that and it felt like a threat. Like is not the same as. So you got the first one. Now that second letter, it's three letters here is buh. Yeah, we have that letter too. And then the last one is a duh. So it's a D duh. Now string them together. Good, some, some of you got it. Some of you are really heightening that first sound. It's chabod, not ch Chabod, all right? Now, in order to break this down, uh, it turns out I have written about this word five years ago, almost to the day. I did not realize I had written about this until I was studying it. A friend of mine found it, told me that in something I had written, she had read this post and it made me go back to the post and I realized, whoa, I am studying the same thing I talked about five years ago today, which is super exciting. So, for those of you who don't remember five years ago, great, this is brand new material. I'm not pulling anything from the past. For those of you who do remember, sorry, I'm gonna bring you back five years ago and give you some more Hebrew studies. But Chabad, uh, if you put that into an English translation would be kabod. try that one, kabod. You can actually find this word a bunch of different places, but I'm going to draw your attention to 1 Samuel 4. Now you can go there and you can take a look and make sure I am staying true to scripture. Because I'm going to give you a synopsis of 1 Samuel 4 in order to breeze through it because my job is to stay on Proverbs 3, but I have to move to 2 Samuel for or 1 Samuel to make this make sense. So 1 Samuel chapter 4 starts with a Good old-fashioned Old Testament section, you know, about war. Because God was super into war back then, I guess. And it was two warring people. Both of them believed they had God on their side. In this case, it was Israel and the Philistines. And in round one, the Philistines go up against the Israelites. And the one thing you will know is that if you want to imagine this war in real time, imagine the Israelites are like, yeah, we're ready for war. Does everybody have their sticks? And everybody's like, yeah, sticks. And then the Philistines were like, great, we're ready for battle. Does everyone have their guns and their swords? And they were like, hurrah. Or, you know, I I wasn't a soldier, so I don't Whatever, (laughs) hooah, maybe that was better. Thank you to whatever Marine in this side of the seating arrangement gave me. But sticks versus tanks and swords and guns. And so in round one, Philistines versus the Israelites, who do you think wins? the Philistines. That's right. And what does it cost the Israelites? 4,000 men. So, you know, typical battle. Sticks will never beat the weapons that the Philistines had. And so Israelites run home. And they're like, okay, we got to fix this here in camp. How are we going to play it next time? I don't want to lose again. And they said, okay, we've got sticks. Yeah, the sticks weren't all that effective ah, wait a second, I have a plan. What if we get the Ark of the Covenant, this God box that belongs to us, that has like all these awesome things in it, if we just bring it with us, Philistines will be finished. They're like, all right, go get the God box. And so they run back, they get the box, they're coming back, they step into the camp, and just the camp goes nuts. It's like, we're gonna win, that's it. And the Philistines hear it, And they're all cheering better than I was cheering a second ago. They were all making, like, warrior sounds. And the Philistines got a little nervous. Like, well, what do we do now? And maybe we should figure out why they're so happy. And so somebody finally figures out, well, it turns out the Ark of the Covenant is there. Like, well, shoot, that's it. Game over. We might as well pack it up. Because we're not going to win if they have the Ark of the Covenant because that is the Lord. And in order to honor what they're doing there, I think we should just decide we lost. And then somebody was like, I don't know, we should fight anyways. And they're like, yeah, fight anyways. So they fought again. But now this time, the Israelites, 4,000 men down and one Ark of the Covenant up. What happens in round two? Yeah, the Philistines slaughter them. How many people go down this time? 30,000. Because, you know, sticks. It still sticks against swords. It's not working. What else do they lose in the battle? They lost the Ark of the Covenant. So their one backup plan now belongs to the other guys. And they're out of fighters and they're out of plans. And unfortunately, word has to get back. And so now, whoever is left from you know 34,000 people down, wander back into town. And there waiting at the edge of town is this king. And the king is named Eli. And he gets a report from everything that just happened. He was like, so... End of the day, let's talk about the tally. We won, right? And the guy's like, uh, okay, so um, you remember those 30,000 guys that we, we marched in? He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, they're gone now. I go, oh, okay, well, what about my two sons? Uh, the, yeah, they're gone too. And now this king who the Bible's mean sometimes <laughs> Says this old king who is very fat and blind at the age of 98 is now suddenly teetering on his seat. Okay, so 30,000 guys gone. Both of my kids. How's the Ark of the Covenant? Wow, they took it. And he falls backwards. He hits his head and is gone, just like that. And the order is very interesting here. You lost 30,000 soldiers. Like, now we can recover from that. Both of your kids. Ooh, sharp tax. That's a sharp tax. What about the God box? No more God box. Boom. Game over for Eli. And now we're stuck in this moment where this horrible thing is happening and it is going to start to blend itself into Proverbs 3. Because word doesn't just stop at the gate. It gets into town, and one of the sons, his, one of his sons' name is Phineas. Phineas's wife, who is very pregnant, the Bible says, and is about to give birth, gets word. Turns out, your husband didn't make it. And we lost the Ark of the Covenant. And boom, she gives birth. Just like that. Like She is so distraught, she goes into labor. The kid comes out, she is... Inconsolable, she's not even looking at her child. And the midwife there is like, hey, don't worry about it, you've had a boy. And at that point, you're supposed to name your kid. And if you're there with me, what does she name her child? One more time Ichabod. Now, what was the Hebrew word I taught you? You all forgot the little part. It was your favorite part a minute ago. What happened? The word was Chabod. If you take this word here, it's I Chabod. Does anybody know what Chabod means? It means honor, it means glory. And unfortunately, when you add an I to the start of any Hebrew word, you undo the word that follows it. So in this case, what does I mean? No glory. There is a newborn baby brought into this world, and because of so many awful things going on around this child and the child's family, she names the kid No Glory because God had departed this place. And So you have extremes. You have glory, and you have no glory, and those two things somehow come together to help us understand the first three words of Proverbs chapter three. This idea of what it means to honor the Lord. You have to understand that it is never just, okay, here's your list of things to do. Step one, honor the Lord. Well, yeah, that's easy. Unless... And then all of the contextual elements start to play in. If you, were then, if you were there then in 1 Samuel, you would understand you could not give glory to the Lord because the Lord is missing and there is no glory. So this is now an impossible task. And unfortunately, I have a feeling some of you are existing in that space, mentally, physically, spiritually. Somehow you have lost the glory of God. And so just to read the first three words before you get into a series of requests that don't have anything to do with you because you're not a farmer and you don't make wine, this one might be your toughest challenge yet. Because the reality is this, to glorify, to honor, to worship is to recognize that there is some glory to be given And for the people, at least in 1 Samuel, that is an impossible. So if glory has departed, then glory cannot be given. 2 Samuel says glory is manifest in an ark that is captured. Proverbs says glory is manifested in you. So if it is missing from you, it means there is something inside of you that was there that is no longer there. And it will make it very difficult for you to give glory to God. But... In diving deep into this section, I will not leave you today believing what you may have walked in believing. And that glory really is gone, just like it was in the ark when it was captured by the Philistines, because there are a bunch of proofs within these four verses that speak directly to you, no matter where you stand. Because here's my fear. Some of you are here believing that you are not worthy to give glory, to give worship, to approach God, to speak to God, to exist in God's kingdom. And if that much is true, these four verses are written for you. And you may be at different stages of that. You may be at different poles. There may be people further on one side than the other. No, 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 I I definitely feel like I can give glory. Probably not as much as that guy, but like some, definitely some, or the other side is no, I give glory to God all the time. I'm the best at giving glory. God should probably give me some of it back because I gave him so much. And that's fun, that's fun to be on the other side. And we're gonna talk about both of those. So somehow, I'm gonna sweep the room top to bottom and see where we're at and see what to do with all of those things. Along the way, we're gonna have to answer two questions. If there is something about your current status that makes you believe you are not worthy to give God glory because there is no glory within you to give, I have a very basic question. And that question is, why? Why? And how in the world did we get to that place? And we're gonna answer that. And the second question is, how might this belief that there is no glory within you that is worth giving to God, how might this affect your ability to read scripture as a whole? But for today, we're just gonna focus on Proverbs 3. But if there's something that's getting in the way, a glitch, kind of like our center screen a little bit earlier, there's just something that's causing the, the vision to switch up. And I'm seeing pieces and it's not coming through clearly. How will that belief affect your ability To look through scripture. Let's pray before we really start today. Father God, uh, as we read through these four verses and uh, all these things that we've got ahead of us, we've looked backwards in time, we've read about this idea of what it means to lose you uh, in a battle, to lose you along with our friends, with family members, uh, to have so much death and negativity connected to the lack of your presence. God, we don't want that to be our emotional state right now. We don't want that to be our spiritual future. And we don't want ourselves to sit physically in this moment of despair. And so God help us. Walk with us in these next four verses over the next few minutes as we try and understand what it means to be somebody who is called to honor you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's get lost. I'm going to start with a premise So I'm going to keep going a little bit further. The premise here says, honor the Lord with your substance, at least in my version. What does anybody else have? Wealth? Good. Anything else out there? With everything you own. Wow, Shelly, that is even bigger. We're going like rich young ruler style on that one. What are you reading out of? The message? Fantastic. So Eugene Peterson triples and doubles down on everything else that's out there. It's Honor the Lord, glorify the Lord with your wealth, with your substance, with everything that you own. Now for a second, here's where one of the things may get in the way. So I'm going to substitute a word as well. So I've already taken the English word, substitute with the Hebrew word. I'm going to do the same thing here. I'm just going to switch English words here. If you take the word wealth and you replace it with the word value... It might make a tangible change in how we understand this. Because if you read this again, honor the Lord with your value. If you take the word wealth, wealth is typically having an abundance of valuable possessions. Is that fair? Kind of amalgamating all of the definitions. There's an archaic definition which says it's well-being. So you honor the Lord with your well-being. Like who you are in your wellness is an honoring to God. But in this case, if we just take the word value and put it in here, you have this idea of what it means to have value and potentially puts you back into the conversation. Because what you could do is say, well, I am not rich. Therefore, I don't have wealth. I don't have an abundance of this thing. And you sidestep the scripture. But if we take value, then we have to hit it head on. Following so far? Good, so we take the idea of value, I'm going to make a claim that you, and it doesn't matter who, I pointed generally in this direction, but you, all of you, have inherent value. Stick with that for a second. You inherently have value. Some of you shook your head yes, that is a positive signal, okay? Most of you didn't, and I'm taking that as a negative signal. Which is good. It means that this was actually a sermon worth writing, potentially. Because if that hits you sideways, or for a second you're like, well, even just that, that moment of second guessing is enough for this whole thing to snake you away from where Solomon is trying to go. You inherently have value. Now, there are barriers to believing that statement. I'm calling it fact. There is inherent value within you. And I think the things that get in the way of it, the barriers that get in the way of us agreeing with that statement is that as humans, we do a lot of comparing where it's like, well, I think maybe Cam has value, but maybe not as much as I have value. I think Cam has more value than I do because I know Cam and Cam's, Cam's definitely like, man, he's so good at summer camp. Like I couldn't do summer camp. And all of a sudden we have this comparison which is not the appropriate standard for this section of scripture. But it is a potential barrier for us getting into this understanding of what our value is and what it is not. And the second thing that will get in the way is that I don't think you can take something like grace and fully quantify it. Because if I say you have an inherent value to God, there will be a bunch of things that get in the way. We're like, yeah, but... I mean, you don't even know whew, what I used to be. Ah, if you only knew. And we take this idea of grace, which has absolutely no quantity, it is beyond measure, it becomes incomprehensible. And so, not being able to understand grace and not being able to stand on your own two feet without continually trying to figure out where you stand against another person will get in the way of understanding the truth that there is inherent value in your life. And we're gonna to have to break those barriers down and Proverbs helps us do it. Because if you look closely at verses nine and 10, look back again, nine and 10, honor the Lord with blank wealth. What is the word right before it? Your, keep going. And with the first fruits of your produce. And then whose barns? Your barns will be filled with plenty. And whose vats? Your vats will be filled with non-alcoholic grape juice. Here's the thing, you can't hide from this section because it's not actually wealth. It is not actually value. It is your value. So what do you bring to the table? What is it you are producing? What is the thing that you do that brings inherent value to the world around you? There's no sidestepping because it is deeply personal. And in that moment, you can't actually compare yourself to somebody else. It's what are you producing? Some of you are producing more than other people. Oddly enough, doesn't matter here. It's like a really Americanized version of Christianity. We're like, well, if I do this thing and that person sees it, and maybe, maybe I'll feel better about myself, but it actually doesn't matter. Like, I'm the associate pastor here, and if I impress the senior pastor, it doesn't actually do anything for God. It's just me trying to impress Jen, which is weird, because she can't save me as much as she keeps trying. (laughs) She's got to work really, really hard. We sit here and we say, I don't have wealth. I don't have wealth like so-and-so, and And what I produce isn't valuable, or what I produce isn't as valuable as what so-and-so produces, Here's a harsh reality to compare value to another is to deny the foundation of the gospel. Because let me ask you this very simple question. What is the gospel? I I said it was a simple question. I stand corrected. What is the gospel? Say it again, Matt. Say it louder. Good it's good news. For who? For who? Yeah. everybody. What is the good news? Yeah good. Yeah, I added like a little logo to the end. I wish I had my hoodie on while I said it. It's Jesus. Jesus did what? Saved who? To deny the reality? that you have value in comparison to somebody else is to deny the foundations of the gospel. Because at a certain point, you either have to admit you are not everybody, and that's weird because you can't be somebody and be nobody and then not be counted with everybody. And if Jesus came for you, except not for you, Then you are the only person Jesus can't find, which either makes you amazing or God dumb. And neither one of those are good answers. One of them's worse than the other one. I'll let you pick that one on your own time. If the gospel is the good news that Christ died for your sins for all people, then there are no arguments left to be made that you are not inherently valuable. Denial of humanity, all of humanity's value is a betrayal of Christian faith and a supreme misunderstanding of the gospel truth. So we're going to start this section over again, but we're gonna do it with a different scope because in order to say honor the Lord with your wealth, with everything that you own, you're gonna have to start by believing that anything that you own and everything that you are is inherently valuable. And in place of someone said, or I always heard that, or I was taught when I was growing up, or I just don't think that I'm, or you know the things that I have done, or if you knew the person I have been, no longer are welcome in the conversation. Because all of those things either betray the reality of your life and the value within it, or flies in the face of the gospel truth, and neither one of them can stand up for very long. So instead, let's discard it. Let's just get rid of it from the start because the reality is this. The proof is coming, and all of those places where you've said, I'm not, and I haven't, and I was taught, all of those things come from unreliable sources and fraudulent intel because none of those things sound like God, not a single one of them, and sometimes it's hard to tell. And unfortunately, we have an example that appeared this week. It was yesterday, wasn't it? Two days ago. Did anybody get an email from Pastor Jen? Good. Good. No, you didn't. Because if your email said, hey, bro, I need you to do me a favor. Give me a call. Send me an email. That doesn't sound like Jen. Some of you sleuths decided to reply back. Sure, what can I do for you? I have a friend dying of cancer and I cannot get away from the hospital. What I need from you is to go and get me an eBay gift card. some of you went even further. For how much? Send $400. And I won't be able to get to you, so here's what I need you to do. I need you to scratch the code off of the back of the card, take a picture of it, and send it to me, and I'll apply it here. And thankfully, unless somebody knows something I don't know, that's where the conversation ended. Because No one went out and bought an eBay card. And if you did, please come talk to us because it would be nice to know that we're actually sending money out that way and we'll get you reimbursed, but we also need to teach you a lesson. That was fraudulent intel. If you look very closely, the email address was jennifer.bolder.church at gmail.com. Sounds familiar because Jen's actual email is jennifer at boulder.church but she does not have a Gmail account with all of that jargon before it. So you need to check on where you're getting your info from. If somebody is calling you, somebody is texting you, if somebody is emailing you, and they're sending you this information, and you fall for it, and you don't check the source, you very quickly are out $400, or by proxy the church is out $400 for an eBay card for a cancer patient that's a friend of Jen's. And unfortunately, we do this in other places too. And we allow people to speak truth into our lives that is not capital T truth. More often than not, it is never true. It is more often than not a lie. And unfortunately, we're not paying close enough attention to who's sending it. And we have given someone else in our life more value than we value ourselves. And when they speak down to you and they tell you what you are, you don't check the source. And instead you go into debt chasing this idea of who they think you are and you never check in with God to find out what the real story is. And that's a problem because when I say things like your life has inherent value and I don't hear amen to the point that the windows shake, some of you have been listening to too many of the wrong people. And so we have got to shake this thing up a bit and Proverbs 3 gives us the opportunity to do it. Your takeaway is don't answer email from Jen. <laughs> For a while. Here's the other good thing Phineas' wife, as tragic as her situation is, she was wrong. The glory of God had not departed from the Israelites. That's impossible. Because at a certain point, you would have to believe that the thing that existed within the box was God and your power was derived from it instead of the God who was a part of the creation of the box and the stuff that was in it, and we somehow got mixed up, that the thing, the box, you call it whatever you want to. I almost always get in trouble when I start preaching this line of thinking. But whatever you need to fill that in with, well, it's the church. It's the pew I sit in. It's making sure it's the Sabbath. It's making sure that I'm Adventist. It's not doing this. It is doing this. Whatever that thing is, as soon as that thing starts to get in the way of you seeing God it's becoming a problem, and you are listening to the wrong sources. And even if God told that person something, if at any point it sounds like you do not have as much value as you deserve to have, it is not correct. And then it becomes a problem because we turn it into identity, and then we turn it into a lifestyle, and then we consider it our wealth. And some of you have a wealth of negativity. Some of you have lost your value so much so that you think you have no value left to give. But here's the hard part. Value is not something you possess because it doesn't belong to you. It's not actually your value. It is God's value in you. When you empty yourself of everything else, God fills you back up with value and that's not yours. That is God living within you. So you cannot give it away which means you cannot lose it, which means there's no way for this to be true in any form or fashion. It just means you are valuable, full stop. There's no argument to be made or else you're going to step on the heart of the gospel and you can't. So what's left? There's no other answer to the question why other than I guess there isn't. Your value isn't a a possession, it is a foundational inherent part of your identity and you've always had it. Your value is actually a result of God's love and God's grace, and I already understand, you can't understand grace, none of us can. It is incomprehensible, but if you can't comprehend it, then don't even try and remove it, because you didn't put it there in the first place, you're not strong enough to pick it up, and you can't put it anywhere else, because it's yours, given to you by God. So this is the only thing you can't re-gift this Christmas. So stop trying. We just sang a song all together. It says, if his grace is an ocean, then we're all sinking. There's no more land to stand on. It's just grace. So unfortunately, your reality check for the morning is that you and Phineas' wife were wrong. God's glory has not departed from you. We read in Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, it says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation, which kind of goes back to Shelley's translation from the message. Like, if you didn't catch anything about wealth, I'm just going to put in everything. So you can't think that, we're like, well, but what about not height, not death, but like in the middle? Like, no. <laughs> Everything, you can't find a point anywhere in the universe. I think Matt said that before. It was like, who is this for? It's not for everybody. It was for the universe, right Matt? Which means there's nowhere, there's nowhere you can't find grace. Everything else in all of creation will be able to separate from the love of God. You can't run from this. You really can't. You can't deny it. There's nothing to deny. So instead, switch your game up. Switch your thinking up. Here's your rebuilding principle. Here's something we can actually build off of. Recognizing or realizing God's presence in your life is crucial to living out the command to honor the Lord. You actually can't do it until you get to this. God is already inside of me. The only way for me to honor the Lord is to take what is already inside of me and give it back to God. And the best part of you, he doesn't need it, which is why you get it back in spades. Give away your first fruits, the best stuff. That always goes to God. And you're thinking, yeah, but that's the best stuff. When I go to market, that's what I want to sell. (laughs) No, no, no. You don't get it. I don't need it. I don't actually need that value you're giving to me. You're giving it to me to be reminded of where it came from. And I'm going to give it right back and more of it. And you're going to have too much of it because you're not going to understand what to do with it because it's my grace and you still don't believe in as much grace as I have. So how does this somehow affect our ability not to understand the wisdom in Solomon's chapter here in Proverbs? Without this recognition, you will lose the ability to bring honor to God and unfortunately, by proxy, you will lose the ability to honor other people. They are, you can't detach them from one another. They are inescapable from one another. To glorify God is demand that you see value in yourself. Demand it. I have to first see value in myself. It's there, go look for it. When you see them in others as a recognition of God in you, you must also see other people as having God in them. Here's the tough part. When I ask you to give me the exact opposite of wealthy, what would you say? Poor. And if you don't see wealth in other people, if you don't see wealth in God, You will treat God and you will treat other people poorly. Wisdom at the extremes. You can't actually have it both ways. You're going to have to either find value in yourself and value in other people, value in God and be able to give it back to God or else you will constantly live in this false dichotomy where I am not worthy but everybody else is. God is worthy but I am not. And you leave yourself out of the equation and you get treated poorly in the process. And if you get treated poorly long enough, you will treat other peoples as poorly, more poorly. I don't know, you pick, pick whatever version of this you want to, it will not get better before it gets worse. To deny the reality of wealth and value that you possess is to treat yourself poorly, to you treat others people poorly, and then your wisdom that you think you're collecting by skipping those first three words and just going, well, if I give my tithe before I spend it, it counts. But then that's not it. You miss the rest of the wisdom. Solomon's wisdom here is built on a strategy that creates boundaries. That either take your shortcomings and not allow them to change your identity or take your windfall and not allow you to be greater than you actually are but to put you somewhere in the middle. So if you feel like you are wealthy and you want to give, you should give. But the reason why you give is so you don't store up a bunch of stuff so that you become greater than everybody else. And you look at yourself and look what I have and look what you don't have. And then all of a sudden I treat you like you have less and then I don't give back to God. And now all of a sudden I'm in this really weird solo ship. I'm on like a super yacht and I'm by myself. And that's not super fun. Probably. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it's fun. (laughs) Maybe it is. I'm talking like I have any idea of what it's like to be on a super yacht. I don't. I don't. But it must be tough to steer the ship and enjoy the deck and be eating all at the same time when you have isolated yourself so far. And to do the opposite is the same. Sitting somewhere in the middle of nowhere, in a room devoid of friends or pictures or furniture, and just sitting there and realizing I deserve this because I am nothing. I'm not valuable, and why would anyone spend any time with me anyways? It's the same problem on both sides of the extreme. So you've got to somehow find something in the middle. You need to reconfigure your status as a child of God, for richer or for poorer. To honor God with your wealth is to recognize that your value is only as large as what you have left when you have given away the first fruits. And you can take that thinking and apply it to a ton of stuff. Take the shepherd who has 99 sheep and loses one, and then he leaves the 99 to find the one. Nobody ever stops to think about the fact that somewhere in between him leaving the 99 and finding the one, he's somehow still a shepherd and has zero sheep. Isn't that awesome? He's still a shepherd, but he has given away everything. I'm getting rid of all of that that I have and possess to go find the one thing. The first fruit of my flock needs to be a part of it, and God honors that. And he comes back with the sheep and finds the rest of his flock. Amen. Take the, the widow, gives the two small copper coins. They somehow find a way to go, wow, she gave more than everybody else. And a bunch of rich people in the room are like, I'm sorry, excuse me? Because I remember making it rain here in this temple. Like, no, 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 those two small coins, they came out of her poverty You spent out of your wealth, and you didn't give everything. You just gave what was the mandated minimum, which is not it. And if it's not it, it must be something else. There is a standard for living here in Proverbs. And like I said, we're going to get lost in the first two sections, and then I'm going to walk you out with the last two. There are a bunch of wisdom points here that have nothing to do with money, because we know you're going to blow it. And so does Solomon says, my child, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves the one he loves, as a father delights in the son in whom he loves. Solomon's notice that God disciplines and reproves, proves, comma, proves, that there are extremes of faith. There are good times and there are bad times. There are times in which you will have vats that are so full you don't know what to do with all of that grape juice. But there are also times for us to take this idea of kabod and turn it into the positive as well. There's no value. My value in the kingdom is non-existent, makes you Ichabod in this story. But my, king, my value in the kingdom that is greater than God makes you Ichabod as well. Just on the other side. It's this idea that there is no glory because you're not giving glory to God. You've gone beyond the boundaries that God has set out for you and neither one of them is good, because then you end up solo on that mega yacht. If you're going to somehow find a way for this to make sense, for some of you today, and not for all of you, some of you might be doing better, some of you are on a rebuilding phase, and that's awesome. But for anybody who was surprised by this reality today, anybody who is not quite sure that you still believe what I'm saying, but you're starting to see at least a function of what I'm saying, it is time for a rebuild. And you're going to have to start from the foundation because everything you have built on top of this nonsense has turned you into who you are right now. The Lord reproves of the ones he loves, which means there's another inherent truth tucked in here in Proverbs. The glory of God has not departed you and God still loves you even when you blew it. And that's good. That's a good thing. Because if you somehow find yourself in a moment of spiritual discipline and in a negative way, not spiritual disciplines like doing things so you don't get in trouble with God, which I don't know if I fully understand that definition. But the other side of you are being disciplined by God spiritually. It means that God hasn't left you, which means the glory of God has not yet departed, which means there's still time. There are still opportunities for this to be adjusted. So adjust. Adjust whether it's due to an abundance of your first fruits that you are somehow hoarding and harboring, or it's the effects of drought and famine in your life that is causing you to lose hope as your spirituality drops. Discipline is in order in both cases and on both extremes. And God is here for you in all of them. So if you are feeling disciplined by God, it is a sign that God still loves you. And it is time to rebuild that foundation. And you're gonna need to start from the belief that you are valuable, So here are your three things that you can build upon, and this will work for everybody. I can throw this out here because it's scripture. It's not my opinion. Step one, the glory of God has not departed. Amen. You are valuable beyond measure. Amen. And nothing can separate you from the love of God. Amen. Not even a bird covered in ravioli. Whatever extreme you find yourself at today, You were invited to rebuild your life on this brand new foundation. And it's very simple to start. It all begins with glorifying God. Thankfully, he is worthy of praise and worship. And you are valuable enough to bring it to him. So what are you waiting for?